0: Sometimes it does feel like no one's listening. Oftentimes for me as a state legislature, I feel like I'm standing on top of the table screaming at the top of my lungs that there's a problem out here and no one's listening.
1: Welcome to the Ronin Project podcast, a show about Asian Americans in politics, rocking the boat, breaking the rules, and taking on the big fights. I'm your host, Bill Wong. Buckle up, it's time for Ronins to roll program. Hello, Ronin Nation. Welcome back to the Ronin Project podcast. Today we have a rising star in state house politics who is the daughter of Laotian refugees. Tina Maharath is currently serving as an Ohio State Senator from the 3rd District. She also serves as the Senate Democrats' leadership team as minority whip. As a Democrat, Maharath won an election to the Senate in a highly competitive race, flipping the 3rd Senate District from Republicans. Her victory represented the first time Ohio Democrats had won a Republican-held state Senate seat since 2006. Maharath is also the first Asian American woman elected to the Ohio State Senate and the first Laotian American elected into public office. During her time in the State Senate, she has sponsored legislation that would create an Asian American and Pacific Islander Affairs Commission. Most recently, she has proposed a bill to allow women to sue men who impregnate them. She proposed the bill following the Supreme Court's disturbing verdict to repeal Roe v. Wade. She is from Whitehall, Ohio. Her father served in the United States Army under the Laos Army, while her mother worked as a nurse in the Laos Army. Maharath is a third-generation politician and the first woman to hold office in her family. She has a bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in law, justice, and culture from Ohio University. Welcome to the show, Senator Maharath.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for being on. Let's start with your journey into politics. What inspired you to run for office and what was your experience like for you?
0: What really inspired me to run for office was actually my upbringing my parents come here as refugees from Laos during the Vietnam War era, I saw a lot of disparities that prevented us from having this um, American dream that we have always dreamt of. So my parents were victims of language barriers, cultural barriers, and we never really got to our full potential of having our full American dream because all these barriers were preventing that. So I watched my mom also be a part of the gender pay gap. She worked three jobs to my dad's one job. And it still felt like we were living paycheck to paycheck. So growing up in poverty in Whitehall, Ohio, in our two bedroom, one bathroom ranch home off of San Jose Avenue, it was just compelling for me to make sure I give back to the community and make sure I someday change the world for the better. I just felt like we were always being a part of the victim. Like we were always the ones who can't have the American dream. Like it was always a a barrier for us. Although my parents just ran through so many fields and across so many rivers, through so many refugee camps, to make it to America, all for us to still struggle living paycheck to paycheck. So my mom and brothers died in a car accident when I was a teenager. And then I got sent to foster home because my father couldn't take care of myself and my little sister, who were the surviving siblings. So I became a single mother by choice at 21 years old. Eventually, I got my life back together. I went to college. I did the big Fortune 100 company job. But I still was struggling. I just couldn't understand why. And that's when I realized that the problem wasn't with me. It was with the system. It's not meant for a child or refugee to succeed, although my family just fought for America's freedom, and it just did not feel right. So I decided that, you know, in order to change the system, I need to be in the system. I need to run for office, and I need to change the system that our founding fathers created.
1: Hmm, Very interesting. What do you think the difference are, in running for office as a person of color, as a woman, and as a, as a young person, is that different than what you see in other candidates who run?
0: Absolutely. Running for office as a young person and as a woman of color, it feels like I'm working 10 times harder compared to my male counterpart. I feel like I have to be everywhere every second. No excuses, although I am a mother to two young children.
1: Do you get the sense that they have much more support structure around them than you do as a candidate and as a politician?
0: I feel like they have generational wealth. They have educational wealth. They have more networks compared to me being a first-generation American.
1: Is being a state senator a full-time job or is it part time legislature? Well,
0: for me, being a state senator in Ohio, technically, we're supposed to be part-time. So... That means we're only supposed to be working half the year. So we only work like five to six months throughout the year. But since I'm such a competitive seat and I'm in a super minority, we have to try to make sure we protect my seat and make sure we try to pick up some additional seats in the future.
1: I do California state politics. And even though we have an outrageous majority in California, it's so important for us to hold seats even in the minority because every seat you have plays a huge role in what gets passed and what doesn't get passed, and you just can't let the partisan differences prevent you from trying to compete for seats. So since you're in such a difficult reelect, can you tell us about your current re-election effort? What are the challenges that you're facing and what do you think you're gonna need in order to hold on to the seat?
0: My current reelection effort has been very, very highly, highly uh, spared from gerrymandering. So just like the rest of the nation, Ohio did go through a redistricting process, but the most embarrassing thing is we have got state legislature and congressional district lines ruled unconstitutional five times now. And this is from both the state Supreme Court, the federal Supreme Court agreed that, yes, they are unconstitutional. But what they did was they told us to move forward with our unconstitutional map for 2022 election. And we'll figure everything out 2024 and beyond so i don't know if people realize what this means but for politics and for our government system it means that you're not going to be fairly represented for this 2022 election with that being said what ended up happening is they took out the population of my hometown of whitehall out and added a new population in uh, Grove city which is a suburb of columbus and now i have to meet and connect with a different group of population that i didn't typically represent in the past my was already gerrymandered before redistricting happened it just exacerbated now because we had a new map. So what that means is I'm going to have to work hard to connect more with people, I'm going to have to fundraise even more than what I am used to, because in 2018, I didn't focus so much on fundraising to focus more on grassroots efforts. Now I'm going to have to try to up my game in the grassroots efforts, because that's going to be the ones who are going to get out to vote. So midterm elections historically always dies down. But I'm hoping that with my grassroots efforts, and my support system, and all my volunteers and friends and family, will get knocked into every single door in this new district, and hopefully we could get people turn out to vote. But the most important thing is fundraising, so that way. We can fund these efforts to get every vote.
1: We're going to include a donation link to your campaign in the show notes, so people who are listening who want to support you can click on the link and donate to your campaign. How much do you think you're going to need in order to, money-wise, in order to win this campaign?
0: Money-wise, in order to win this campaign, we will probably need to raise about $200,000, but historically, what the Ohio Republican Senate Caucus does is they've spent millions of dollars to protect their seats. So- When I ran in 2018, they did spend about $1.2 million worth of smear ads against me. We can't beat that, but what we can do is invest in at least $200,000 to continue our grassroots efforts to protect my
1: seat. What do you think helped you win the seat previously? Was it the current political environment? Did you have a weaker Republican opponent?
0: For 2018 election, I believe what really got me the big win was my compelling story. I am the face of the district. I am a child of refugees. I was a young single mother at the time, and I was a person of color. I was an Asian American woman who was not being heard. So what really got my win back in 2018 was people are so sick and tired of being sick and tired. They are so sick and tired of the wrong person representing them in their local government, and they're not seeing real action that they wanted to see for our children's futures. In 2018, my opponent at the time was a very well experienced elected official over in the other chamber. So she served in Ohio House, she was just switching chambers. But she never really represented our community well. Of course, she probably represents her party well, that's fine. But our community really wanted a hard working parent who really cares about the needs of our community, because for decades, no one was listening to the needs of our community. We were suffering through the opioid epidemic, we were suffering through mental health issues, and we were suffering through community investments. But now finally that I'm elected, I got to make those investments for our community because we have been needing it for decades.
1: What's the demographic makeup of the Third district from a, from an ethnicity standpoint?
0: From an ethnicity standpoint, demographics of the new district, it is about 80% white, uh, 17% black, and the rest of the population is quote unquote others. So that includes Asian Americans, uh, the Hispanic community, and those who identify as mixed race.
1: What's the partisan split in this district?
0: The partisan split in the district is supposed to be 52% democratic. And then it is about 48% Republican. The reason why I say it's supposed to be because there's so many different mathematical algorithms out there that it's so hard to pinpoint which one should we use correctly. But these numbers that I'm spitting out today are the numbers that I'm using for the past two election cycles. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. One of the challenges we face nationally is that every state has a very different voter file. For example, California's voter file has, I think, 25 different data points, Including country of origin, so much depth with regard to its data in the voter file that it's easier for us in California to target voters knowing what their ethnicity is, what language they speak. But in other states, it's very difficult. And like you said, if everybody is grouped into other, that makes it very hard to develop messaging for them. What's a typical campaign? look like outside of door knocking and phone calling for state senate seat in ohio
0: in ohio the typical campaign outside of door knocking and calling for fundraising is also attending a lot of community events so ohio in the suburbs that i represent we have tons of community events we have something as unusual as Reynoldsburg's tomato festival and we have something such as old bed zucchini festival then we'll have common things such as labor day festivals so outside of knocking on doors and calling people for fundraising, I have to attend these community events. I also ask for house parties to get hosted. Fundraising events are starting to come back in the surface now that the pandemic has um, seen the end of the tunnel. So I am everywhere, constantly, every single day for the suburbs. We also have a lot of progressive groups that also request for my presence so that way I can speak on my campaign, speak on the updates with uh, legislation the whole nine yards. So it's being in the district and in community 24-7.
1: Do you do a lot of mail or like TV ads or things like that?
0: We are doing some TV ads and mailers near the end of our cycle. So our get out to vote efforts is usually around September through November. But even then we focus on the absentee mail chaser. So what we do is we find out which Democrats or which independent voters are trying to seek out an absentee ballot. And then we follow up with mailers and follow up with get out to vote reminders, et cetera. And we also do radio ads as well here in Ohio. How big
1: is the district? How many people live in the third district?
0: In the third state senate district with the new lines, I want to say it's around 345,000 people now.
1: Mm -hmm. In California, a typical assembly district is around a half a million. So uh, reaching that many people is really hard. But we also spend a tremendous amount more money in California races than what you spend in Ohio. So there's there's always challenges to reach that number of constituents with the money that you can currently raise. And I'm sure it's very hard to get national attention on a state house race when most of the national donor attention is, is focused on congressional races and federal races. How do you feel about the fundraising process and what do you think needs to be improved in fundraising?
0: I completely agree with you that these state house races don't tend to get national attention compared to the federal races. However, what we need to do is point the spotlight to these state house races. Ohio and other swing states, that's where most of these legislations are going to be coming from. Because at the federal level, they protect us very well in terms of democracy and rights and the whole nine yards. But the state level can most certainly change those perspectives. After Roe versus Wade was overturned, Ohio immediately went through and passed their heartbeat uh, bill ban. Or banning all abortion after week six, even though some women don't even know that they're pregnant until after week six of their pregnancy. We need to point out the fact that the state legislature seats are the ones who are actually the key holders to most of these legislations being passed in your hometown. In terms of fundraising, we're all getting our funding from a state level, from the local levels, but we need to get that national level some way, somehow, by spotlighting the fact that the state houses are the ones who are more important, the most important for the ones who are living through their local everyday lives. This
1: is where the rubber hits the road and where people really see the the day-to-day impact of legislation and budget policies that are passed. A couple of episodes ago, I had on the show Lala Wu from Sister District and Maria Oyama-Leninger, who's the Western Regional Political Director for the DLCC, the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, And we were talking about how important state house races are now that the SCOTUS decision on Roe v. Wade pitched a woman's right to choose basically into the hands of state legislatures and how important it is for us to have a strong voice on state legislatures and in gubernatorial races in order to protect women's rights to choose. And what we also talked about was that for Asian American women and Asian Americans in general, very supportive of Roe v. Wade and protecting a woman's right to legally access a safe abortion so our fights now are definitely in the state houses and the more important thing is that you can win a state house race with a lot less money than you would need for a congressional race because the congressional race takes a tremendous amount of resources in order to run effectively just because there are so many Agendas out there, so many political action committees that it could easily drive congressional races into multi-millions of dollars, three or four times what it would take to run a state house seat. Have you found a lot of support from the Asian American community, or do you think Asian Americans need to step up and do more to support candidates like you? From
0: Ohio's Asian American community, I felt like I've had some support. So they always supported my nonprofit efforts, so my community efforts. But when it comes down to politics, that's when they take a step back because then they live in fear that if they support me as a candidate, then it will impact their nonprofit status. We need to step up as an Asian-American community politically because we tend to just stay in the work that we know and the work that we constantly do and master at and we do well. But politically, if we want to get more investments into the Asian-American community, we need to have a political exposure in Ohio, so, it's so hard for me to pass this Asian American Commission in Ohio, even though we're the only ethnicity without one, because of the fact that they don't know who the Asian American community is. They don't know where the Asian community is because the Asian American community doesn't politically get involved. So, when it comes down to our voting numbers, the Asian American community is less than 2% of our vote in the state. So, it's so hard for or elected officials to take them serious. From a campaign perspective support, I've had Asian-Americans that their me fundraisers and provide some financial support. But then when it comes down to the groundwork, they don't want to participate. They don't want to knock on doors they don't want to help me write postcard letters. They don't want to do the groundwork because they don't think it's as effective. In all actuality, in a state like Ohio for a state house race, doing that direct voter work really does help get the vote out.
1: Yeah, that's a very important point. We win all of our races in California, all of our close races based upon our ground campaign. We field at times up to 150 volunteers in the field a day to do door knock and to do canvassing house to house to drive the vote out and it's quite effective that's what allows us to have a super majority of 60 members in an 80 member assembly. And also the, the state Senate in California has a super majority as well. And we really base a lot of our strategies on ground campaign and direct voter contact. We have a lot of paid ads and a lot of mailers, but we do think that the hallmark of our efforts in California are based upon our ground campaign. Asian Americans seem to be struggling to embrace a coherent political identity and engage the process in a more impactful manner. How do you think we can bridge that gap and get more Asian Americans engaged in politics?
0: Get more Asian Americans engaged in politics means we need to have better representation. So here in the state of Ohio, the only two Asian American state legislators are in the Ohio Senate. So there is an Indian man who serves me in the Ohio Senate, and he's Republican. And of course, I'm a Democrat. So the more we get representation, the better we get to politically engage. So my colleagues have tutored me ever since I got elected for bringing more Asian American exposure to the state house ever since i got elected it inspired people to get involved with our committee hearing processes or legislative processes and just being at the state house more or encouraging them more to reach out to their elected officials in the past before i got elected It was very slim-to-none exposure, so it was so hard to lobby for these public policies that support the Asian-American community when there was hardly ever any Asian-Americans at the state house.
1: What about staff? Are there Asian-American staff in the legislature? Are there Asian-American activists in political organizations in Ohio?
0: In Ohio, we are up and coming with Asian-American staff and political activists. Prior to me being elected, it was very, very slim-to-none but after I got elected that's when people started getting politically and more staffers decided to try to apply not only for my office but for other individuals offices as well this is the most Asian American exposure that our state house has ever been exposed to because people have been sort of intimidating to be around that community.
1: Are there any fellow Asian American races or candidates that you're supporting or following this cycle?
0: Unfortunately, there are no other Asian American candidates on this ballot. As much as I would love to see them, we don't have any. We did have one young Asian American man run for the Ohio House, but he did lose his primary election. So that was the only other candidate. It's just me now in this um, election cycle. Of course, I'm following my fellow refugee candidates, but even then, so there, we're literally the only three fellow refugee candidates in the state of Ohio, and we're in the same area.
1: Are there local level Asian Americans that run for like school board or city council? What's the pipeline look like for Ohio?
0: Over in Ohio, our state legislature races and our executive office races tend to be the even number years. And then the odd number of years are the more local races. So that will be school board, city council, et cetera, like township trustees. Uh, so for this cycle, there is no Asian American candidates. But I can only imagine that the next cycle, there will be more additional Asian American candidates because there are other incumbents for these local races who will be up for re-election. But I can imagine now with the political climate that there will be additional Asian American candidates seeking other seats. Have you face
1: challenges with regard to connecting with other refugee communities in the United States, for example, in California or Minnesota or other states where the Asian American population is a little bit bigger and might have more
0: resources? I do not have no problem whatsoever connecting with other refugee and immigrant elected officials in the nation. Most of my closest relationships are with the fellow refugees from Laos, which tends to be more in Minnesota where They currently have five Hmong elected officials, but now after their primary elections that just recently happened this week, they just elected two more additional. Being a refugee from Laos is our main connection melting pot, but also from around the nation as well, being an Asian American elected official tends to magnetize us together and build a relationship together. So for us state legislators, uh, we do have an Asian American caucus through our national state legislative uh, conferences where we tend to connect and we tend to bounce ideas with each other. And we just talk about our experience being an Asian American elected official in our home state.
1: Do you think more training or more programs to help discuss politics, discuss political strategies, discuss fundraising techniques would be helpful for candidates like you?
0: Investments into training and political outreach is a great investment for us. For us Asian American elected officials, we tend to bounce ideas off each other at these national conferences. But during the pandemic, it was so hard to do that since most of us are on the opposite sides of the country. So having investment into this training for us Asian American elected officials would tremendously help because the most of the common themes that tends to happen with us, that we are having a hard time connecting with A, B, or C group, or we are having a hard time getting legislation passed for our community, for our Asian American community. So if we were to have this type of training available for us being elected and for us being candidates, I think that the investment will go far for us getting reelected, but also elected to other positions in the future.
1: Definitely something I think we should all work on. Do you have any last words of encouragement for the Ronin Nation out there?
0: My last words of encouragement would definitely be to keep on keeping on. It is so hard to have this political exposure in our country if we don't speak up and say something and do something. Sometimes we do feel our defeats. Sometimes it does feel like no one's listening. Oftentimes for me as a state legislature, I feel like I'm standing on top of the table screaming at the top of my lungs that there's a problem out here and no one's listening. But I, I can assure you. That as long as we keep on keeping on this great fight for democracy, our voices will be heard. We will have better representation and we will see a better country and better public policy for our Asian American groups. But it all starts with that one voice, and we just have to keep on keeping on.
1: That's a great message to end the show on. Senator Mahara, thank you so much for being a guest on the Ronan Project podcast. Well, Ronin Nation, that's it for today's show. Thanks for listening in this week. We'll see you next time. If you are inspired by the exploits of the amazing Asian American badasses on the Ronin Project podcast and want to find out how you can learn more about politics or help Asian American candidates, click on the link in the show notes to join the Ronin Nation's national progressive movement to inspire, organize, and empower Asian Americans. Until next time, Ronin's Roll Program.